0: Hello and welcome to the Soccer History USA podcast. On today's episode, A War Hero in Bethlehem. The first two months of the ASL's second season revealed that for the most part, the quality of play was excellent, and it looked like the race for the title would be quite competitive as just two points separated the top six clubs. Sam Mark's Fall River squad stood atop the table after taking nine points from seven games. Bethlehem Steel, New York, Patterson, and Philadelphia were just behind the leaders with eight points each. J.P. Coates were not out of the picture on seven points, while Brooklyn with three and Harrison with just one needed to improve if they hoped to mount a proper challenge. Ball River especially had reason to be optimistic as their club was leading the league despite the fact that Big Summer signing Harold Britton had yet to find his goal scoring touch, netting just two goals in seven games for his new club. One of those goals came in a 4-2 home loss to New York on October 22nd. The game was significant because it was one of the first played in the club's new ground called Sam Mark Stadium. The stadium with a capacity of 15,000 was built by Mark in Tiverton, Rhode Island, in order to escape Massachusetts laws that did not allow the games to be played on Sunday. At the other end of the table, Harrison began the year with four defeats in a row and were shipping goals at the rate of nearly two and a half per game. If they didn't improve in that department, it could be a long season. The same was true for newcomers Brooklyn Wanderers who managed to win their league debut against reigning champions Philadelphia, but then went winless in their next four games. And now for some headlines from Off the Pitch. Democrats once again have a solid South after election results showed the party was able to reverse recent Republican gains in the region. In Tennessee, Austin Peay defeated GOP incumbent Governor Alfred Taylor while Virginia, Georgia, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina, Louisiana, Mississippi and Arkansas will send solidly democratic delegations to the House for the new term. At the Conference of Luzon in Switzerland, English and Turkish officials remained deadlocked over the question of who would control the city of Mosul and its lucrative oil fields. İshmet Pasha, head of Turkey's delegation, was adamant that the Allies could not just decide amongst themselves the future of lands that had formerly been part of the Ottoman Empire. The New York Board of Aldermen rejected an ordinance that would have required all foreign language advertisements to include an English translation. Chairman William T. Collins said that such a measure would only served to annoy and harass a very considerable portion of the population of this city who only wish to address their fellow citizens in their native tongue. In sports, a trio of teams remain tied at the top of intercollegiate football's Big Ten standings. Chicago and Iowa ran their records to 4-0 with wins over Illinois and Ohio State. Michigan moved to 3-0 after defeating Wisconsin 13-6 before 42,000 fans at Ferry Field in Ann Arbor. Demand for tickets was so great that even Henry Ford couldn't find one. Philadelphia's campaign to retain the title started off on both positive and negative notes. With eight points, Philly looked in good position to defend their ASL crown. However, they had already played ten matches, twice as many as Bethlehem Steel. A victory over the Christmas City side in the season opener must have been especially gratifying for the new owners, who, unlike the Steelmen, had vowed to compete with a team of largely homegrown players. One of those local players signed over the summer was winger Percy Andrews. Andrews was born in Philadelphia in 1897 and worked as a printer when he was not playing soccer. He seems to have been a precocious talent, lining up for the Philadelphia electrics when he was just a teenager. Eventually, he would play for other local sides, including Distant Sawmakers and Marshall E. Smith. Andrews continued to develop as a player, and by 1917, the Philadelphia Inquirer named him as one of the city's best 11, declaring that his speed, coupled with his tricky playing and splendid crossing, stamps him as the peer of the outside rights. In that same year, he scored seven goals in a match against Jersey City. By 1920, the same paper was touting him as a possible choice for the U.S. Olympic team, calling him one of the nation's top wingers. Andrews appeared in various city all-star games, and in 1921 scored his team's only goal in a 3-1 loss to the visiting Scottish side 3rd Lanark. Maybe because during the inaugural ASL campaign, his hometown squad was really the Bethlehem Steel team, he spent the season in New York where he tallied an impressive six goals in just nine appearances. That pace slowed a bit with his new club, but he still managed four goals in the first 10 games, including a hat trick on October 15th versus Harrison. Andrews was also Philadelphia's lone bright spot in a 2-2 draw against New York on November 11th. Playing a kick-and-rush style, they proved unable to overwhelm the veteran New York defense, and the Quaker City forwards did not help much as they continually gave the ball away. New York led 2-0 at the half, and perhaps should have been well away had they converted their chances. After the restart, Philly scored two goals in four minutes, including one by Andrews. Miraculously, they even had a chance to win it, but missed a penalty after a handball in the box. The sponsor of today's show is the National Airphone Corporation Model G. The Little Wonder radio receiving kit is made with unusual simplicity and efficiency. Its super sensitive, foolproof detector stays put. Listen with pleasure to the clearest and loudest crystal radio outfit you have ever heard. Endorsed by engineers. If Philadelphia's approach to the new season was to concentrate on local talent, Bethlehem Steel did just the opposite, signing an entire squad of new players, many of them from overseas. At first, it looked like the new players would take time to gel as they lost the season opener at Philadelphia 2-1. After that, the club proceeded to win its next four games in a row, outscoring opponents 7-1 and keeping three clean sheets. Even though they were winning, the Bethlehem Globe still thought they could be even better. After a 1-0 win over New York, Steitadel wrote that the club was far ahead of its rivals in pure scientific football, and only a lack of understanding prevented an even higher score. The team's style was centered on slick and clever passing, and one of the club's imports immediately looked to be the signing of the summer. Winger Malcolm Goldie had come from Clydebank FC, and quickly made a mark with his new club. Against New York, he assisted on the goal scored by John Rattray, and in the next game versus Patterson, created at least one chance with a quality cross. The 3-0 win over Harrison on November 19th may have been his best game yet, as he drew a penalty and had an assist. Another key contributor to the Steelmen's early success was Daniel McNiven, who was averaging a goal a game. Another new foreign import for Bethlehem Steel didn't arrive until October. His name was James Curry, and a few years earlier he had made eight appearances for First Division English side Notts County and later played for Queen of the South and Nithsdale Wanderers in Scotland. Curry, like many footballers, had also served in the British Army during World War I. The Scottish born winger distinguished himself, earning both the Military Medal and the Distinguished Conduct Medal. He was awarded the DCM after single-handedly destroying a German machine gun team. During his time in the service, Curry had been involved in some of the bloodiest battles of the war, including Neuve Chapelle, the Somme, and Passchendaele. He may also have played football for his unit, the Second Scottish Rifles. Soccer competitions were common during the war, and the Second Scottish Rifles won the Divisional Cup in 1916 and 1917. In the fall of 1922, Curry sailed for the United States, signed on with Bethlehem Steel, and also worked for the company as a machinist. Ultimately, Curry appeared in just three games for the Steelmen before contracting pneumonia on November 30th. James Curry, survivor of the battles of the Somme and Passchendaele, decorated war hero, and professional footballer died in the hospital in the early morning hours of December 1st, 1922. The next day, his teammates took to the pitch and defeated Harrison 3-nil at home. As the second season of the ASL reached the halfway point, nearly all the teams still had a chance to win the title. Would Fall River hold on to its lead? Would Bethlehem Steel's new squad overwhelm the competition? Or would some other club rise to the top? Find out in the next episode of the Soccer History USA podcast. Sources for today's program include Colin Jose's The American Soccer League, Ancestry.com, and www.bethlehemsteelssoccer.org. Special thanks to Ed Farnsworth, Andy Mitchell, David Ross, and Andrew Smith. Music from archive.org. Thank you for listening to the Soccer History USA podcast. For more information, visit www.soccerhistoryusa.org and follow me on Twitter at Soccer History US. You can also like the podcast on Facebook. If you enjoy the show, please consider leaving a review at iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Thank you.